We're here to show the world that all you need is a good woman on your side and a strong right-hand punch. It's our underrated gems of the 2010s on the Double Turn Podcast, which starts right now. I know Jorge is very impressed by my incorporation of all three matches into a show that I've been looking forward to for quite some time because it was my idea. (laughs) Not that the J-Man does not have great ideas 99% of the time. There was that one instance that I've had to veto four times, and I'm not putting my foot off of that bad idea. Just kidding. The point is, this is the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. It's Boss Ross and the J-Man coming at you. Again, this show, we've we've had so many great ideas since this uh, TDT's Classic Series came about, just because it's something for us to do, while the weekly wrestling shows are... Well, they're coming in and about with more and more just nonsense every week. And, well, there's still no fans, and it's still not the same as it was before all of this insanity started happening. But that being said, we are making the best of it, as I say every week on this show, and we'll continue to say every week on this show. We want to be an escape. We want you to uh, sit back and enjoy podcast about wrestling of course we do incorporate ourselves into this show it would not be a show without the personalities speaking of personalities jay man how are you sir hey man i'm doing well i'm curious to see what you're referring to in regards to that vetoing of four separate times i don't know exactly what you're referring to it's probably going right over my head it involves your boy triple h that's all i'm gonna say all right well triple h is the man for a reason so i'll leave it at that that being yes. said it's a bit of a cloudy evening over here in the East Valley, man. How's it looking there in Central? I'm uh, I'm inside, so okay. I, well, then you're completely covered and you can't see anything to the outside world, which is sad. Know. Wouldn't yeah. know. It's okay. But uh, overall, I, I'm here to tell you I'm well. Um, it's great to see you. You shaved up a little bit. Looks like you went ahead and just are not a, a slim goatee you got going on there. No, I definitely just shaved all my facial hair off. I just okay, gotcha. It's heart just a, reset. It's, Gotcha. It's just a five o'clock shadow coming in on on there. Yes. Yeah. If only, if only, if only I could pull the Hollywood Hogan look off, in which it looked like he painted his five o'clock shadow black. That was. I hilarious. thought he did. You know what? That is gangsta. Let me tell you. I'm not saying that, it's not. That is that is incredible. That adds even more to the myth and the lore and the greatness that is Hollywood Hogan. That's all I'm gonna getting say. Getting too ahead. You're getting too ahead talking about Hulk Hogan because in two weeks' time, I'm here to tell you the WCW Goats episode is coming to you right here, right in this vicinity. It should, be, you... a, it should be a fun show. Yes, as, as always. Uh, as uh, I, I believe I calculated, I watched 450 television episodes of WCW and then – the better part of, let's see, one, two, three, four, 48, about 55 pay-per-views from WCW between 96 and 2001. It's a lot. So, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a very interesting list for when we talk about the GOATs, but as you said, that is in two weeks. This week is 
underrated gems of the 2010s. Okay, let's call it like what's actually going to be called when it drops. It's going to be called the Diamonds in the Rough episode. Because I think that just sounds cooler. But it is the underrated gems of the 2010s. Let's be real. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you can call it Diamonds in the Rough or under, as long as you basically make it clear to everybody, like I'm making clear now for the third time, that this is of the 2010s. So don't yell at me that a match from 97 isn't on this list. Okay, that's all I'm I did say. preface when I put up on Instagram what year they all took place in. So I'm going to assume that people are smart enough to realize that we're talking about the trajectory from January 1st, 2010 to December the 31st, 2019. I would hope. That being said, I have a very strong feeling that uh, once we actually have an opening in our calendar, because we seem to be booked for months, we are going to do an underrated gems or diamonds in the rough of the 2000s. August. That is, that is, that is going to happen. So we will make that happen hopefully in August. Yes. Right around my 35th birthday. That's so there right. You there you go. That's right. Before we dive deeper into this show, let's tell you a little bit about our show, the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. The J-Man runs that. He's laying straight fire. So you'll be able to check that out as well. Ross, the real boss, 85, is mine. The one and only J-Man 19 is his. Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. Check me out there. And uh, this show can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, CastBox, Pocket Casts. Um, there's one I'm missing now and the Anchor app. The Anchor app. And then again, I still don't know. I can't remember what the right. new one is called. So it doesn't, it, it, honestly, really, it doesn't matter. It's such a small one. Yeah. It's Just, we're everywhere. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, we are everywhere. Yes. So uh, this idea came about because, well, there are not only decades, but there are pay-per-views in those decades within the span of enjoying wrestling as a fan that either go lost, forgotten, need to be revisited, or simply just, as we preface this show with, an underrated gem. This may have been on a show that had a, high, that had a more high-profile match on the card. This may have been a show that underperformed, that had a very good match on it. This may have simply just been a good match that needs to be revisited. I actually think we have one of each of uh, the many categories I just listed. I agree. Because uh, if I remember correctly, one of these events was, actually it was, the the uh, the ladders match mm. that we're going to go over was the infamous uh, tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs event of 2014 Correct. that had the riveting match of the Big Show versus Eric Rowan in a stairs match. I'll never right. forget that. That's for sure. If I'm not mistaken, it was the first time we ever saw that a TLC match um, be given the stipulation of you must win by pinfall or submission, uh, as the main event was Dean Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt, um, because Brock Lesnar was the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, and he was not defending the title at every pay-per-view. So that was the main event that night. There you go. So the three matches that we picked – for this wonderful show we have and i'm only going in chronological order and uh, i believe that's actually the order we're going to go in for this show because we've typically gone in chronological order not best to worst anything like that it just makes it a little bit easier sometimes especially when we do classic series where it's 
uh, sets of matches between two people. Mm -hmm. It's just a little easier to transition the story for not only us, but for our audience as to how they got there, where they got there, and how the feud progressed. In this case, we just picked three matches that uh, have six different people in it. Yeah. I think it's the first time in this list where we've had not one person show up twice in a list. Um, Because I thought Jericho was in two of the matches that we picked for Money in the Bank. For Money in the Bank, that is correct. And then in the Fatal 4-Way... Actually, you know what? The Fatal 4-Way also was that was that way as well because it was Vader and Stone Cold and Bret Hart and Taker in the first one and Michaels, Cena, Edge, and Orton, and then Miz, Sami Zayn, KO, and Cesaro, and then it was, to finish it up, Brock versus Roman versus Braun versus Joe. So this is the second time that we've okay. done it. That's yeah. amazing that we picked a Fatal 4-Way match in which one person – was not a duplicate in any of the other three matches. That is pretty impressive. impressive. So, the three matches we picked, Big Show versus Sheamus for the World Heavyweight title at Hell in a Cell 2012. We also picked Luke Harper versus Dolph Ziggler in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title at TLC 2014. Again, the infamous tables, ladders, chairs, and stairs pay-per-view. And then Daniel Bryan versus Lemez at SummerSlam 2018. Now, can I just, when you prefaced your intro, you, you said something very interesting that either a match that got lost in the shuffle of a bad pay-per-view that happened to be a really good match, or it happened to be a match that was good but not everybody remembers it as good as it really should be or perhaps a match that was in a stacked pay-per-view and Daniel Bryan versus The Miz SummerSlam 2018 was a strong pay-per-view and not only was it strong but it was stacked to the absolute gills with big matches that you would have thought to yourself oh well Daniel Bryan and The Miz is a pretty big match and you would not be mistaken but then when you look at the main event of that show, it was finally Roman versus Brock one-on-one for the first time um, since earlier that spring when they had the match at Greatest Royal Rumble. And again, it was the blow-off feud, the blow-off to their feud because they'd been really feuding since 2015. And then you, of course, had AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe and that classic of a um, and that classic of a singles match that they had that ended via DQ which by the way, people still love that match, even though it ended in DQ and it made that actually progressed the storyline. Ross always talks about some way, somehow a storyline being progressed. The DQ finish for that match actually progressed that match, but we're not talking to AJ versus Samoa Joe. I'm that was sorry. Also, that was also the pay-per-view where uh, Ronda won the title. That is correct. She beat Alexa Bliss, which is another huge match. Um, and then that was SummerSlam 18. That w- Oh, and then Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins for the Intercontinental Championship, which is also a very good match. So all in all, Daniel Bryan and The Miz definitely had a tougher time trying to go ahead and break the glass ceiling than the other two matches did. Lest we not forget the riveting title defense that the B team had against The Revival on the pre-show. Oh, that's right. That is right. The less said about that, the better. We're going to get to SummerSlam 2018. 
last. That is correct. That's because it's last on this list. And then that, that I means... wanted to just mention, Go ahead. sorry, Ross, um, but we just a couple of honorable mentions. We wanted to discuss Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, and we just went ahead and chose Daniel Bryan versus The Miz because it was more of a longer match. Now, say, okay, so we're talking about Goldberg versus Brock Lesnar. At WrestleMania 33, I should have prefaced that. Sorry. Thank you. Fair enough. So uh, was that our only honorable mention, or was there another one? There was one other one that I may have deleted on accident, but um, Brock Lesnar and Goldberg was the one that you and I were really saying, oh, man, that should be on the list, and we decided to put it on the list, and I remember Daniel Bryan versus The Miz, and I was like, "Mm, what should we do? And we ended up going with Bryan and Miz. Okay. But like the just like a hair. We I know by hair. I know there was an Undertaker match I actually wanted to put on this list, and then I realized it was in the wrong decade. So oh, I may have to under- make it so it may have to make an appearance at uh, at that later show. That makes perfect sense. Oh, oh, that's right. I think you were talking Undertaker versus Edge at SummerSlam. Was that the match that you were discussing? Um no, I believe no? it's okay. the I'll have to revisit it. Oh, I think I remember now, Ross. You wanted to go ahead and discuss Mark Henry and Randy Orton at Night of Champions. That was the match that you wanted to talk about. I did want to actually mention that. Thank you for yeah. reminding me. Yeah, uh, that, of, that, of course, was the uh, the 15-year journey of uh, Mark Henry finally becoming a world champion. Um, Randy Orton did put him over not once, not twice, but three times. Uh, he did that for him and Jinder Mahal. Um, and the Hall of Pain gimmick actually ended up being pretty successful. Um, and so for Mark Henry, uh, if you're looking for a match in which it showcases Mark Henry, still looks or still makes Randy Orton look very strong, um, isn't overly complicated, not overbooked at all. Um, it just showcases that it's Mark Henry's time to win the world title. Um, and I think it's definitely worth revisiting if you want to go watch that match. I know people are normally not excited about Mark Henry matches. I understand why. But that being said, go check that out. So we start this list of underrated gems of the 2010s with a match that I know I was particularly looking to revisit for this show and just in general. The Big Show versus the Celtic Warrior, or at the time he was known as the Great White, Seamus. Yes, that was a catchphrase they were using for him and a moniker. There were even shirts made that said, The Great White Hope. I'm not making it up. That being said, 2012, Seamus, uh, did he have any of his really serious injuries by this point? No, not yet. Um, he was still pretty healthy. His physical style had not gotten to him just And uh, I'm just going to say this right now. I can't believe I'm going to say this. The Big Show looked svelte at 440 pounds tonight. It's interesting. It's interesting because he definitely lost even more weight and got into better shape, or it was the fact that he stayed at the same weight but got shredded. And not saying that he looked huge, because again, he was about 60 pounds lighter than what his biggest weight was, which was an actual 500. Yes. But uh, he was at, if I'm not mistaken, Tony Chimmel announced him at 441, which is uh, a lot. 
Correct. But still pretty moving pretty gingerly in the ring. You know, I I saw by the way, I don't know why I'm a stickler for this, but I have to mention this before we start. I loathe the champion coming out first unless there's a really good reason for it. I agree. Um, I wholeheartedly agree. The only time um, I would have expected it is uh, CM Punk being the challenger in Chicago in 2011. And by the way, they got that. They kind of got it wrong, but then at the same time, they got it right because CM Punk was in the ring waiting for Cena to come out. And the whole crowd in Chicago was just waiting to boo Cena's ass. Uh, so let's see. Also, um, uh, Hollywood Hogan versus Sting at Starcade 97. That was Sting's first match in over a year. So Hollywood Hogan coming out first, I was okay with. Um, I'm going to be honest, because of who it is, I never mind Brock Lesnar coming out first because it's Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, and they can cut a promo, and Brock Lesnar will just kill anybody who doesn't let him come out first anyway. So at least I buy that. You know That's what I mean? That's so, absolutely okay. So I was not a fan of the champion Sheamus coming out first. However, I will say, and again – I know I'm going to get the rolling of the eyes. I actually liked the look of Big Show coming out in a hoodie. Oh, I actually didn't mind it at all. I don't know who's going to roll eyes at you because I wholeheartedly agree. No, I think some people may say, well, he's just wearing this regular piece of clothing over it's his regular wrestling things, gear. I, I, that's no, what people it, need to understand. It's the simple things that sometimes can make or break a character, and a hoodie made his character. because he. Go ahead. I was just going to say – you t we just talked about one of our um, honorable mentions and a highly uh, a big recommendation is Randy Orton versus Mark Henry. And, you know, we talked about the Hall of Pain. Big Show was almost kind of doing the Hall of Pain a year before Mark Henry started doing the Hall of Pain. Uh, actually, that's not true because Mark Henry was doing the Hall of Pain in 2011. He just hadn't won the world title yet, but essentially – Big Show was the monster heel one year before Mark Henry took over that mantle is what I'm trying to get at. So the reason I love this match, I'll just start from the beginning and I'll make sure that I don't just ramble because I feel like sometimes on these shows I ramble and I know some people like it, but I want to make sure that I save my energy because there's a lot I like about this match. It's part of the reason why I put it on this list. Um, I like the fact when it's appropriate, which I don't remember leading up to this, what happened. I think Big Show just like got in Sheamus's face on the show before this pay-per-view or something because I don't know how Show got a title shot. I don't remember that for sure. Um, I think it was the fact that he had just gotten traded recently over to SmackDown because if you remember in the summer of 2012, Big Show turned heel on John Cena because John Laurinaitis gave him a ironclad That's contract. right. Okay, okay. Now it's, now it's coming back to me. Okay, as much as I don't like the ironclad gimmick or the ironclad contract gimmick, kind of gave Big Show an edge. And what I mean by that is, I don't know how much more of an edge you need to give a man who's seven feet tall and 440 pounds to really go into any situation and just never be worried ever about anything, when, especially when it comes to a fight. Um, but now you've given the same seven foot, 440 pound Goliath of a man, like job security, where he doesn't have any fear of any repercussions coming his way. So right from the get-go, show saunters out and is just like, 
I'm going to beat the hell out of Sheamus and no one's going to stop me. And Sheamus comes out playing the babyface character at this point. And, of course, he had had his run. And, by the way, here's a nice little go-between because I do remember this part of it. The Big Show had beaten Mark Henry for the World Heavyweight title. Daniel Bryan had cashed in on the Big Show. And then was it that WrestleMania that Sheamus beat Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds? That is correct. So it was in a full circle. And then Sheamus had not lost the title since WrestleMania. Yeah. So the the Big Show got his title. Go ahead. I was just going to say, in WWE lore, Sheamus had one of the better, not just from a booking standpoint, but just from everything together, one of the better World Heavyweight Championship runs that we saw in WWE uh, lure. Um, And I have to say, I have to preface lure because I'm not referring to when the title was the WCW Championship. I'm talking about from 2002 up until that point, that point actually the title had just turned 10 years old on WWE's turf, which is a pretty big deal. Um, for Sheamus to still be the, to be the champion uh, while that championship turned 10 years. And so what I'm just trying to get at is that entire storyline with Big Show uh, having beaten Mark Henry and getting cashed in on Daniel Bryan and Daniel Bryan losing to Sheamus, all of that came full circle. And here we are. So I figure I, I, figure I mentioned that because... It's a good problem. It's really... The Big Show never really got his rematch. He just got cashed in on. He, I thought he did have his rematch at that year, at 2012's Royal Rumble. Against Daniel Bryan? I'm pretty sure he did. or Because remember, also, like, during late 2011, early 2012, AJ was also affiliated with Daniel Bryan. She was his girlfriend at the time in, in, in storyline. Oh, big show like yes he did AJ ran her over yeah not literally the car literally his body because for those of you who don't know who AJ Lee is of course she is CM Punk's wife and also a very good wrestler in her own right she is retired now but in her heyday which would have been between 2011 to 2014 was her prime really that was her that was her running rough shot if you will so so okay now it's all coming back to me. So Daniel Bryan was a heel. Big Show was a babyface. And that was the slow. Now, I know we make fun of Big Show turning like a million times. But that was actually one of the slower heel turns for the Big Show. Maybe in his career. Because, like, he was sorry that he had run over AJ Lee because he was trying to get to Daniel Bryan, who was this chicken heel. And then not too long after that, he just turned full out heel and started punching people in the face. Well, yeah, he turned heel on John Cena at that year's No Way Out. That's when John Laurinaitis beat John Cena in a steel cage. And the reason why was because Big Show got the ironclad contract, which was earlier that summer. Now, perhaps my, and I realize we're getting into the weeds just a little bit, Mm. um, but when was the Edge versus John Cena last man? No, that was 09. That was 09, yeah. That was was when Big Show threw John Cena into the spotlight. Correct. That was three years earlier. Okay, sorry. Again, Big Show's turned, okay, here's, here's my Big Show joke of the night. 
he he's he's literally turned like 577 times. It's like this running joke of he never stays babyface or heel longer than like six months. This is 100% accurate. If you look at the Survivor Series match at 2014, he was a babyface on John Cena's team. He knocks out Mark Henry and then knocks out John Cena 30 minutes later. Yes. He turns heel yes. and joins the authority. It's so stupid. <laughs> so back to the match, Sheamus and the Big Show. I, first of all, I also miss Tony Chimmel. I wish he was still ring announcing. I do, I do love him. Not only for the uh, rated R superstar for Edge, uh, but just in general, just classic. I always liked him as a ring announcer. It made me miss him. Um, the announce team for this match was JR. Why am I, why is my memory escaping me now? So it was JR, Michael Cole, and JBL, which actually was yes. a okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I was going to say JBL, but I was forgetting if it was Cole or not. Okay. I'll get to JBL because once again, JBL is going to prove my point that a really good, smart heel announcer can really save a match. Insert Corey Graves. Insert Jerry Lawler. Back when he was good and not insane. Um, there are plenty of other examples. I'm just listing those off the top of my head. I'll get to JBL in a second. So Big Show comes out, and he just immediately, immediately just starts punching Sheamus in the chest. Just immediately just starts beating the hell out of him. And Sheamus is like, oh, God, my plan was to brawl with this giant, and I don't know if I can do it. And by the way, he kind of hung with the giant. I mean, Sheamus did his damnedest because these two were going to have a brawl. And that's what we got. And I'm, and I'm sorry to simplify this because I know there are a lot of people that love seeing, and I'm going to point this match out, and I know people are going to say I'm going to crap on it, but that's, I, I'm just making the example. Also because Vader crapped on it. I'm not on Vader's side. I just have to make this point. Some people are used to a regular match or a pay-per-view match being Ricochet versus Will Ospreay with all their flips and all their nonsense and no actual ring psychology. Okay? For those of you that like that match, awesome. Not really my cup of tea, but great. You asked me if I can have a simple wrestling match that's not a tag team match because I love tag team wrestling. Just give me two guys that are going to beat the hell out of each other. I promise you, I promise you, as long as it's not slow with like a million rest holds, I'll probably enjoy it. That's exactly what I got in this. Now, I understand, well, Ross, there were like three rest holds that the big show had. Yes, and if you listen to the commentary where JBL actually inserts himself and says, oh, the big show's really smart. He's putting his head behind Seamus's back to help him get more leverage and more power while he's in his rest hold. It makes the rest hold make more sense. Or, if I may piggy on top of that, when he's got Seamus in the bear hug, JBL, once again, actually being a smart announcer, discusses the fact that Sheamus, instead of standing up and having to lift Sheamus's 275-pound frame, he is actually on his knees in order to basically not overexert himself and then yet still be able to have a very good grip on that bear hug on Sheamus. It's brilliant stuff, and it's simple. Now, I, I will tell you, 
that this match essentially was the big show trying to just use just just overpower Sheamus, which I know is hard to imagine because Sheamus is a ginormous individual. If you didn't know that, look him up. Sheamus is a very large man. I realize I'm saying that compared to the big show, but the big show's plan was just, oh, this guy's just small. I'm just going to punch him and rest hold him. And heck, he was even, I mean, we're so used to him not really using the choke slam very much. He pretty much just goes for his, at the time, I think this was right around the time where he had switched it to the KO punch from the WMD, um, probably because it was, quote, less violent, whatever. It's the same thing. He punches you in the face, even though it's an illegal punch, he punches you in the face, which is actually believable, which is why I like it. So essentially this match was Big Show trying to beat up Sheamus, Sheamus trying to brawl back with him, and when Big Show put him in a predicament, he would wrestling counter out of it. What I mean by that is he would just counter out of it using wrestling moves and then trying to make Big Show get into a wrestling match that involved some brawling. I actually thought it was a very simple, well-told story of two big guys fighting over a world title, realistically. I couldn't agree with you more, my friend. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you look at one of the uh, situations in the match. Um, I can't remember what Sheamus is trying to fight out of, but at some point, what he ends up doing, and by the way, I have to give major props to the Big Show on this, um, he drops him with a spike DDT. And not only is it a spike DDT, but Big Show's seven foot two, 440 pound frame does the somersault to go along with it. That's skill and athleticism at its finest, ladies and gentlemen. Like, again, that's Big Show's not overselling, perfectly selling for Sheamus, first off. Second of all, it takes skill. You know, I, I don't think that Sheamus gets enough credit for his wrestling acumen. We always have. Like, for example, I'm the first person to tell you I love Sheamus' wrestling style because it's, it's brutal. It's, this, it, it's, it's brutal. It's very physical. Um, it's, it, it's not just power. It's, 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 it's believable power, right? That's why I've always said if there's one dude in the world or at least one dude in the company that could match up with Brock Lesnar pound for pound and actually go toe-to-toe with Brock and make it believable – Sheamus is one of those few dudes, like legitimately. And I know that they had a match at a house show once. I'd love to see that match on TV uh, play out because I think it would be dope. That being said, um, there was so much to like about this match. I think that the timing, that the amount of time that this match was given was perfect, Ross. I talked to you about it last week. This match went, what, a tick over 10 minutes, maybe like 11 or 12, something like that. It didn't go 15, didn't over overstay its welcome in any capacity. Um, and, and it didn't need to really, because again, this match was at a good pace. This match did not go slow in any way, shape or form. Again, Seamus, first of all, Seamus deadlifted the big show into white noise. Let's, so, be, let's remember actually, that. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Sure. Let me, let me just blow your mind here for a second. Cause I had Please. to make, I had to make sure of this. That match was given 20 minutes. You're kidding. No. Really? Now, let me tell you why. Because I'm with you. It did not feel like a 20-minute match. That match, that match felt short as hell. Now, what I will tell you is this. The first half of the match, 
and the last or I'm sorry, we had the first half of the match, then we had the then we had a quarter of the match, and then we had the last quarter of the match, if that makes sense. So there were three phases of the match. There was three acts, yes. Yes. Which again normally means good storytelling when you have three acts. Mm-hmm. Kind of coincides that way. Read any book, watch any movie that you ever love. Most of those have a three-act structure. Uh-huh. Thank you, Eric Bischoff, for pointing that out, even though I knew that anyway. That being said, the, the second act of this match involved Seamus basically saying, okay, I've been beaten half to death. Now I just got to catch the big show off guard. Mm. What I mean by that is not only the bro kick, but I got to go outside of my comfort zone as the Celtic warrior to try to beat this guy, which again was a nice swing and transition and just everything in that match towards Sheamus. And then Sheamus hits the white noise you were talking about, by the way, which again, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I had to make that point of the fact that even though it felt like a short match, it also didn't feel like a slogging 20-minute match. It's another reason why I like this, because I actually thought it was given the right amount of time for the story it told, which, by the way, is a lost art in this business. So then you go to the end, okay? Now the announcers are like, well, Sheamus has to hit him with a broke kick or he's not going to beat him, right? So then Big Show hits him with a KO punch. You're like, oh, gosh, Sheamus lost, and Sheamus kicks out. First person to ever kick out of Big Show's KO punch at that point. Everybody shocked. Shocked. Then Sheamus hits a broke kick. Big Show kicks out. And by the way, Big Show had already hit two choke slams by this point and Sheamus had kicked out of both of them so then Sheamus is like oh I hit him with the bro kick and he kicked out and by the way normally I'm not a fan of people kicking out of finishers but again this match was okay Sheamus is going to kick out of the KO punch great now you have Big Show kick out of the bro kick one apiece right so Mm -hmm. next finisher is going to win And you made the point that that was the first person that had ever kicked out of the KO punch. So you're telling the story of both guys have exerted all their energy. They've both hit a finisher and they're both on their last leg. And Sheamus sets up in the corner and the announcers are like, oh, it's over. He's going to hit him with the bro kick. It's over. Big show's out of gas. He's got nothing left in the tank. Sheamus is going to roll on through. He winds up for the bro kick and in, I kid you not, because I remember watching this. I wasn't live, but I remember watching this on pay-per-view. I'm like, what just happened? Why is Sheamus on the ground? Why is Big Show covering him? Holy cow, Big Show's the world heavyweight champion. I had to watch the replay three times to see what happened. Big Show sucker punched him in the face mid-broke kick. Yeah, he sidestepped him. He, he sidestepped Sheamus. The 440-pound giant who was, quote, out of gas and on his last leg, sidestepped Sheamus and sucker punched him in the face and pinned him to win the World Heavyweight title. Mm-hmm. It is one of the best finishes I've seen in a, in a pay-per-view match in a while. No, no, man. It was dope. It was... Uh... 
so well done. Um, again, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still mind blown at the fact that this match was given 20 minutes and it felt like it went 10. I'm telling you, dude. It's pretty, in, it's pretty insane. It just goes to show that you, the big show and Sheamus did their job, their damnedest to ensure that they were going to sucker you in and bring you in and tell you a good story and you were going to be immersed. That's what I love about stories and matches like this. I'm immersed. And the first thing I want to go ahead and say, and I'm not done talking about this match, but I will give credit to all three matches that we're going to be discussing this evening, that the storytelling for all three of this, all three of these matches were done very, very well, very well. Um, and this, you know, this just proves what the heck we're talking about. Um, I want to talk a little bit before we move on from this match, Ross. It, one, of the one, one of the things that really stuck out to me was the commentary. We talked about JBL and his magnificence. Um, and by the way, not a joke. Mean that entirely. I thought he was on point with his commentary. One of the few times, though, that you saw... Cole and JR be on commentary at the same time because back in the Attitude Era, it was Cole with King because JR was gone. And then Cole came, or JR came back, and then Cole went back to the, he went back to be the interviewer. And then he took over the lead commentator for SmackDown. And for the longest time, you never saw JR and Cole share the same table. So in 2012, this was the second time that those two men had shared the announce booth. First time being um, um, uh, Undertaker versus Triple H at Hell in, a, in the Hell in a Cell match at WrestleMania. Yes. Uh, I, Michael Cole did an exceptional job on lead commentary, and JR did an exceptional job in making sure that he didn't overstep his boundary. JR was absolutely on point as an analyst, and to me, Cole, this was one of Cole's best lead play by play announcing duties that he's done in his entire career. And I have to say that because of the fact that he had JR on his left and you would have thought, Oh, JR is just going to go ahead and completely smother him. JR is going to essentially not, not step over his mountain, but he's going to outshine him. And he never did. And not because JR couldn't, but it was JR just let, letting Cole do his thing. And the chemistry was just really strong between the two of them. And that made me really happy because I know that Cole looks up to JR. And so I, in, 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 in reality, I can only imagine how much of a big moment that was for Michael Cole that what, like 15 years later. Yeah. 15 years later, he's the one that's in charge of lead play by play. And his old mentor is the one that's doing his analysis next to him. That's gotta be one of the coolest things in Michael Cole's career. And I had to mention that because it stuck. It stuck with me. It resonated. So, so I've said this before. Michael Cole, his best color commentator, he has worked with in the history of his time being a play-by-play announcer. In my opinion, is John Bradshaw Layfield, and it proved the point that John Bradshaw Layfield is. He just he fits with Michael Cole. He evens out Michael Cole. Now, I realize Michael Cole became a meme of himself later. But at this time, Michael Cole didn't get too far into the weeds. JBL was still giving great analysis, as he normally does. And he just balances out Cole. And by the way, I've been saying this as well. JR 
I really wish JR was not the lead commentator on AEW. I actually wish it was Shivani. Because I this actually match think it's Excalibur personally. Well, I think Excalibur is perfect for the role he has. I don't think I would give Excalibur play by play duty. That's me personally. But this match proved to me that JR is perfectly fine running co pilot on any show he has. I think people um, just lost the fit that never thought about that because he was so he's the greatest he's the greatest play by play guy ever. And they're sure. like, oh, well, I can't imagine as JR as the color commentator. That's how good JR is. The fact that he will do color commentating and he's going to slay it because he's JR. Sorry, I got it. super. Yes. No, you're, you're good. So one more thing before we move on. I, I said I was going to ask you this. And I'm going to ask it right now. Are you surprised at how good this match was? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I never expected throughout the entire month and a half that we've been waiting to do this episode that I was going to be disappointed. And, and I'm not saying that to not give you your credit because I'll give you all the credit in the world. I just knew that having it been a long time since I'd last watched this match and I remember remembered Sheamus and Big Show had a really good match. It'll be really exciting to rewatch it and remember and, and remind myself whether or not I was right and remind myself whether or not Ross was right. And when I watched it today, I was like, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised for a multitude of reasons. One, I thought the co- the commentary was great, which makes every bit the part of the story. One. Two, this was Seamus coming into his peak. And then three, and you and I had a very long discussion about this a couple of days ago. Everybody talks about The Undertaker and Kane being the two greatest big men of all time. And it's like, well, hold on for one quick second, ladies and gentlemen. Big Show deserves more than his due. You know, Big Show is amazing. The one thing about Big Show that nobody will ever give him credit for is he can absolutely tell a story. We all think about the fact that he's a seven-footer, that he's 450 to 500 pounds on any given day, and that he's slow. But he might be slow, but if there's something that the Big Show has, is the fact that it's the fact that he's methodical. Right. And Big Show has not only done WCW, but then he did the Attitude Era and he did the Ruthless Aggression Era and he did the PG Era and then he did the Reality Era. That's five separate eras that the Big Show wrestled in, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't think that the mind that this man is brilliant, then you don't know your wrestling. So to answer your question, Ross, no, it did not surprise me because I knew that it was going to be great it made me feel good about the fact that you and I were correct in that assumption. That's my answer. Basically what I'm telling you people is um, if you look at this match and go, Oh, there's no way Seamus and big show had a great match. You're wrong. You're wrong. And not to mention they had a really good rematch too. So there you go. True. But I want to make sure to, well, I'll just say it. This match was better. Absolutely. Um, Plus that other match that they had, didn't Big Show bring in that like giant sized chair? Yes, and yeah, Sheamus never, used it. It was incredible. Yeah, yes, yes. It was it was pretty not believable, but it was excuse me. It was very funny. The second match on our list of the underrated gems of the 2010s is a match 
that uh, some people would not say is an underrated match. This match was given 3.75 stars by uh, Jorge's favorite analyst, Dave Meltzer. Uh, so even though it was not 3.5, there's 3.75, and it's one of those matches that I wouldn't say is polarizing, but I would say that some people may think that this match is better than it is, and some people may say that 3.75 or 3.5 is about where it should be. And I only mention that because it is Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper for the intertitle in a ladders match at the TLC 2014 pay-per-view. Luke Harper was the champion going into this match. It was a homecoming for Big Bad Dolphy Z because they were in Cleveland, Ohio. Was that when it was still called The Q? Well, it still is called The Q. So, yeah, that was Quicken Loans. Well, I'm just saying, and- well, I'm just saying, like, now nobody cares because the Cavs suck. So, yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> okay. Actually, didn't the Cavs still suck? Because LeBron hadn't come back to Cleveland yet. So, the Cavs so still suck. But, yes, was, it was The Q. So, this was still. So, this was Kyrie's team. This was Kyrie's team. That is correct. Okay. Yeah, well, pretty much every team that's led by Kyrie doesn't do anything anyway, do they? <laughs> Just saying. Can't wait for Durant next year if we ever have another NBA season ever again. Just saying. Hey, as of right now, July the 24th, ladies oh, – excuse me, July 29th. July 24th is baseball. Yes, a 60-game season was approved as of uh, this recording. It was approved earlier today. They are supposed to be starting basically a spring training reboot, I guess, or is mm-hmm. it just training camp? I think it's spring training reboot, either okay. training camp or spring training on July 1st. And, and then, then the season's back. starting like three weeks later. That is correct. And then okay. NBA is back on July the 29th, supposedly. Okay. Can't so, agree 2000, yeah. so 2014, when some people still really cared about Dolph Ziggler potentially being a main eventer. I say that because Jorge and I are big fans of Dolph Ziggler. We still think Dolph Ziggler could be a main eventer. It's 2020, and this is this is pretty much Dolph Ziggler. Him being an upper mid-card guy that can hang with the big boys, but will never really be put in the big boys' spot. Fair? Which is frustrating. Yes, it's very frustrating as well because Dolph Ziggler, as of right now, is more than likely going to get a title shot against Drew McIntyre at Extreme Rules for the WWE Championship. It pisses hey, me off. No, you know what, though? Continuity-wise, it makes sense. It makes all the sense in the world. I agree. And by, I just... and, and, and by the way, if they really wanted to do something cool continuity-wise, they would have Drew and Braun still be champions going into Survivor Series. Yeah, I agree 100%. Now, I realize that that's a lot of people saying, oh, my God, why is Broad Strowman going to be the champion for five more months? I'm saying that would be full circle if they're going to do brand versus brand and champion versus champion. You don't have to have Braun be the champion that whole time. You could have him win the belt back at some point. Exactly. But I'm just saying that would be the full circle of the uh, group known as the Dogs of War. Oh, such a great name, which they never even—they never even gave it to them. Really, they just talked about it. It's like one more, on. one more brief point about the dogs of war. I remember on this show, I remember saying flat out when any of those six men were on television, it was fantastic. Yes, Ziggler, Braun, Drew, and the Shield. Any, um, I think any combination, it- any combination, anything they did 
must watch. Yeah, I think we said it about four separate times on four different episodes. Must watch. Pretty much didn't care about anything else that happened on the show. But if but if one of or all six of those men were involved, I immediately cared. That being said, Dolph Ziggler walks in here. He uh he of course came out very appropriately as the challenger first. Thank you. I'd like to point out also that uh, Luke Harper, who is now known as Mr. Brody Lee, Luke Harper had really underrated, creepy solo heel music with that titantron of his eyes. Just simple, creepy, coming out with like the half stained, wet shirt kind of thing, kind of like what I'm wearing right now, even though nobody sees it. It's 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 like he looks like this dirty car mechanic from like the backwoods. It's yes. creepy. It's super creepy, and I love it because now I think of him as a guy that's uh, doing a parody of Vince McMahon with the Dark Order, and who knows? Maybe it's a joke against the corporate ministry. I don't care. The point is, Luke Harper was wrestling Dolph Ziggler in this match. Now, I have to open with this because I know there are a lot of really good things we're going to say about this match, but I must get the negatives out of the way. I have said on many occasions that I scold people who do not give Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 25 five stars and give it 4.75 stars because of the one moment in the match where they thought the Undertaker died. Doing the spot on the outside where he landed on his head, right? Which, by the way, pisses me off because he, as soon as he hits the floor, he looks up with his eyes open. So he's not dead, you morons. Go ahead, Ross. I understand. Okay. Literally within eight minutes of this match, Luke Harper appears to have broken his arm. Now, I realize, having watched this again and having known what happened, I realized he didn't break his arm. I understand that, but they did the spot where he, where he did the to the outside and Ziggler takes the bump and Harper lands flush on the ladder arm first. I was like, that dude just broke his arm. He's like 280 pounds of just all man going right down on his arm against a metal ladder thought his arm was broken kind of took me out of the match just a little bit in the same way that daniel bryan and brock lesnar took you out of their match at survivor series because brock lesnar kept on german suplexing him onto the back of his neck because i legitimately thought daniel bryan had gotten reconcussed now apparently he just has awesome facial expressions and apparently was fine but brock lesnar has been known to be somewhat careless in the ring sometimes and i was like did daniel bryan just get hurt damn it brock lesnar I'm sorry, damn it, Brock Lesnar. I always have to do that because his music is awesome too. I always applaud good music choices for people. That's why, and of course, Dolph Ziggler is amazing. Pretty much everything he does is great. There were a couple times where, it, 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 anyway, the point is that there was another match, or there was another point in the match where Luke Harper just falls backwards onto a ladder, right? Now, he got cut open on like the underarm in his back, and I think maybe even part of the back of his head got cut open in that spot. Maybe. Because there was blood kind of everywhere. Well, remember, Ziggy Pop also went ahead and got scraped up on the top of his forehead as well. The way, the way Luke Harper took that bump, 
thought he broke his back. <laughs> so again, again, I've said this before. I understand that selling is an art. Okay, it's 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 a big art. You have to be able to do it believable. But there are times in this match where I'm just like, did Luke Harper just die? Oh wait, he didn't. Oh wait, now Luke Harper just died. Oh no, now he's just crawling up against Dolph Ziggler like ten seconds later. Like oh, and another thing, I have to point this out, and I realizing all the negatives out of the way because I know there's a lot of positives, and I'm gonna let you take lead on it because I know not that I don't love this match because I do. I know you probably love this match more than I do, so just give me one more. There's another spot, and this is another thing that bugs me about ladder matches, okay? I'm waiting for a ladder match to literally end when somebody gets thrown to the outside, someone just runs up the ladder and wins in like 10 seconds. I actually want that to happen at some point. That would actually be believable. Instead... Luke Harper decides, well, I threw Dolph Ziggler to the outside, and he's down motionless and potentially unconscious. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to look up and look around like a crazed person with, like, 14 ladders at my feet, and I'm just going to just waste time deciding which ladder to pick up to then maybe climb the ladder in order for Dolph Ziggler to show up 10 hours later and still beat him. And... Or, or if there's one ladder already in the ring, have to take 47.3 seconds to rearrange said ladder so it's directly under yes. the title belt. It's like, does it have to be directly under? Like, can't, isn't it easier for you to climb and then it's right here to your right-hand side? Like, what the hell? Okay, and I'm sorry, there is one more. There were two times when Dolph Ziggler was pushed off the ladder that I legitimately thought he broke his arm. There's the one spot right near the end before he makes his big comeback and ends up winning the match where he literally falls. It's like they're going at a slow pace and then all of a sudden it just tips and his arm is draped across the top rope. And I'm like, did he just dislocate his arm? Well, he did it twice. Like what? That's what I'm saying. He did it twice because it to me, I didn't think about the arm. I literally thought that he had banged the back of his head against the top rope. And then yes. with, with, at the speed that he was falling, he was like, and Ziggler's dead. Oh, no, he's alive. And then he does it eight minutes later. And I'm like, what? And he does the exact same spot. And it's just like, Dolph, are you trying to get yourself killed? Like, what are it, you doing? Now, at least with Dolph, I know that he's got a better track record of selling at, at times overselling, whereas Luke Harper, I was like, oh, God, he broke his arm. So, again, that being said, because I know ladder matches are supposed to be jurists and there's supposed to be lots of good selling and it's supposed to, like, there's actually supposed to be danger involved with the match. And the fans' reaction to it was awesome, and that's something that's missing in those type of matches all the time. And so hats off to those two men making it believable and not really getting here other than getting other than getting cut okay that's that's all the negatives out of the way positives this is a freaking great match okay you want to you want to look at a high intensity roller coaster of a ride involving two men who want to climb a ladder for an intercontinental title who just are just battling each other to the depths of hell for this white belt i don't know how much more you want other than what they gave you 
I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. This match opened up TLC, and it did – to be fair, because there was no world championship match in this uh, on this show, Ross, I actually – because it was Dolph's hometown, I would have had this main event instead of Ambrose versus Wyatt, but whatever. I mean, you can't rebook it anymore, right? But I would have had this match main event. That being said, this was one of the better openers you're ever going to watch, and I'm – and mean that with every ounce of my being. I thought that Dolph Ziggler, I've said this before on this podcast, and I'll say it until the day I die. Dolph Ziggler is one of the greatest, if not the best seller in the business today. I don't think that there's many dudes that sell better than he can. He just gets it. He just gets it. And he was absolutely going 100% for, um, for Luke Harper. And Luke Harper absolutely outdid himself in his selling as well. Um, yes, was there moments that it looked like he broke his arm? Absolutely. That was the whole premise of it. And by the way, you forgot to mention the powerbomb onto the ladder, which I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I've seen a lot of ladder matches, Ross. One of these days, I'm just going to have to see somebody get powerbombed through a table and that end it for that person and then be done. Because you going full force at full speed into a ladder from that high is not normal and you should not be able to get up from it one minute later. It's not believable. So you need to stop doing that in ladder matches other than that. So this match was rated 3.75 stars by, by Dave Meltzer, right? You had to go ahead and mention that. I hate you for calling him my favorite, my, my favorite <laughs> journalist. Um, I, I digress. That being said, this, to me, this match deserved better than 3.75 stars. I thought that this was a solid 4 or 4.25 star match. I really did. You know what this match reminded me of, Ross? You and I had our TDT Classic Series with Rock and Triple H. This ladder match was extremely similar to their ladder match at SummerSlam in 98. The physicality of it, the storytelling. This was not high spots in, in, in the sense of like jumping off the top of the ladder through a table. This was not you know, a superplex off the top of a ladder through, a, uh, through another ladder or things of that nature. This was not that. This was them using the ladder as a weapon and just flat out throwing it at one another. And it made sense. There were multiple times that, you know, you either saw Harper throw the ladder at Ziggler or, for example, when Harper had the ladder on in between his necks because he was rotating it around to go ahead and hit Ziggler. It made sense that Ziggler would super kick or drop kick the ladder into his face. That was, that made sense. It, that, that's what I'm talking about in this match that the usage with the with the exception of like, Oh, waiting around like 48 minutes to go up the ladder when somebody else is on the outside. For the most part, the usage of the ladders and the usage of the movements made all the sense in the world in this match. And that's why I really appreciated it. There were two moments where I thought that the match was over and it still went on longer. And I was like, oh man, it's not over. And it shocked me. And it shocked me that I was like, oh man, it's still not over. And not in a bad way, in, in a sense of like, oh man, they really have me grasp within this story in the same vein that Big Show and Sheamus did the same thing. And that's what I'm talking about. This match had incredible storytelling, and it wasn't just the great selling from Ziggler and Harper. It was just they got it, you know? Um, 
they had history because the month before it was the massive survivor series match of team Cena versus team authority and Luke Harper and Kane and Seth Rollins ganged up on Dolph Ziggler and Dolph Ziggler had to come back from a three, one deficit. Of course he had the help of sting and, but you know, it was really four on two because triple H was in there pedigreeing Dolph Ziggler to no end really. Um, but, but there was history, you know, mm-hmm. Dolph Ziggler had lost the IC title to, to um, Luke Harper a, a week before Survivor Series. And then Luke Harper was one of the final three in the Survivor Series match. So there was, there was things that went along with them. And by the way, these two were also involved in the great ladder match that was for the IC title four months later, four months later at WrestleMania um, with Daniel Bryan and Dean Ambrose and Wade Barrett. And I think Stardust. Yeah. Anyways, that being said, I love this match. I really did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought the ending, the final ending sequence when Dolph Ziggler bridges the ladder on top of Luke Harper, ah, that was so rad. I love that. It was so good. It was so well done. The timing was on point. It made all the sense in the world. And then Harper still comes up on the other ladder. And then what does Ziggler do? Super kicks him to no end he super kicks the life out of him and Dolph is finally able to regain the IC title and I mean the crowd didn't go happy because Bray Wyatt was a heel that night and he won in the main event but they were very happy that their boy won in uh, Believe Land if you will and it was a great ending to the match but I genuinely the way that this match ended and the way that this match took place the one booking mistake that was made was the fact this match wasn't the main event, main event of this show. It's true. Um, I will, I will piggyback off of what you just said. Um, I really do love the fact that a big guy like Luke Harper who can move and who can do a lot of the high flying stuff and a guy like Dolph Ziggler who can really just about do anything. I mean, you could make the argument that when this was going on, 2014, um, you could make the argument, and I think maybe even one of the commentators may have said this during the match, that uh, these two guys could be, you know, future mainstay main eventers. Michael Cole made that comment. He said, you guys are looking at two of the faces that are going to be running the joint for the next decade, which is unfortunate because, well, I mean, not really. Well, now in fairness, uh, both guys did have injury concerns. Uh, So that obviously derailed both of them. Um, Luke Harper also had um, a little bit of a dispute with the company that then landed him on the, not being released from his contract and then 90 day, no compete clause. And it just kept getting extended because he was hurt because they could, it's a whole story. The point is that, I mean, these two guys proved it, that they could be pretty big single stars. Um, Mm -hmm. Luke Harper was not really given a whole lot of promo time uh, because most of the time he was in WWE. Um, He was in groups meaning he was either with the Wyatts, where Bray Wyatt did most of the talking. Um, wasn't there a brief amount of time where he was like an ally of the authority or something like that? Wasn't there well, a Well, yeah, the month, the month prior. The month prior. 
Yeah, so there was there was a Survivor Series match where like he was yeah. Okay. So if anything, now it's interesting that you referenced the Rock Triple H ladder match because how many ladders were actually used in this match? I a know they got out I know they got out like 12 of them. I'm going to say like pro- I'm going to say like maybe 6 or 7 ladders were probably used where Rock okay. and Triple H only used I think we we counted 2 or was it 3? So so there was technically 3 used. There was the one they did half the match with that broke. There was the one they used to finish the match and then there was the one that was only used for the spot involving Mark Henry in China. Right, but I had to preface the fact that it reminded me of it not in the sense of the usage of the ladders per se, but the the level of brutality and the okay. level of physicality. It was different. Like this was not a not your typical money in the bank match where everybody is like flying all over the place and things of that nature. They, these two were grounded. These two were grounded for the most part. And if, they did, and if they did, it was because they were literally being pushed off, not because Dolph Ziggler was basically going flying. Yes. So, the, the, okay. So now, so now your comment makes more sense in that this is one of the more grounded ladder matches that you will see. And that's what makes it unique. And that's what makes it good. Really good. A very good match. Now, by the way, you can have ladder matches that are crazy and lots of high flying spots. And guess what? A lot of people enjoy those too. But as a nice change of pace for a ladder match, especially on a show where I had to watch a godforsaken stairs match on, this was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Well worth watching again. Go out of your way to watch this. One of Ziggler's on and, and, and Ziggler's got a plethora of great matches, let's be real. But uh I would definitely say that this was one of his better performances. Is this uh, is, is this Luke Harper's best singles match? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't because, know. Man, because remember, a lot of his matches were Actually, I seem to remember he and Ambrose having a really good match, too. They did. Extreme Rules, like, five months later. It was the month after WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, because remember, at WrestleMania, the, the, the Ambrose got written out of the rest of the match because Harper powerbombed him through the ladder. Um, and they had, their, they had a match between themselves. That was a, I think it was a street fight, uh, which Ambrose won. Um, but then remember, in 2017... Um, Luke Harper had a couple of matches with AJ Styles that were really, really strong, um, which shouldn't here. surprise anybody. I'm looking, I, and I promise I will be brief. No, no, it's all good. Because most of his best matches are either tag team matches or six-man tags. I agree with you 100%. I mean, I would, if you ask me what Luke Harper's best ever match is, it's obviously the Elimination Chamber match with the, with the Shield. Yes. You know, Wyatt's versus the Shield, but... One on one, I would definitely put this in the top three, because I don't, I think that his match against Dino was very strong a few months later, and then there was a couple times um, that he had a match against uh, AJ back in seventeen that he was also uh, very good. I'm trying to remember if um, did Harper and Daniel Bryan ever have a singles match? No, I think that involved um, – was that 
no, uh, that was in the seven-way ladder match. That was at WrestleMania. What are you referring to? Daniel Bryan and Luke Harper being in the same okay. match. Cool. Just wanted to check. Just wanted to check. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, there is a plethora of great Luke Harper matches. It's just not a lot of them are one-on-one because they never really booked him in one-on-one matches. Although I will say this, the match where he actually beats Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental Championship, which was on Monday Night Raw, was actually a pretty good match. Clearly, uh, next on that list would be uh, Luke Harper's thrilling win over Eric Rowan at Backlash 17. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. It's, it's, it's not, yeah. not a great match at all. But, hey, listen, if you want to talk about – if you, you want to go on a Luke Harper binge – let me just mention a match, which is a tag team match that will not get a lot of love. And it should, because it had an unfortunate situation was the fact that I think it happened at a crappy pay-per-view, which nobody seems to care a damn about. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't we see their match of uh, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan versus Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns? Was that at Hell in a Cell this year or was that at Night of Champions? Say the names again. The tag team match of Luke Harper and Eric Rowan versus Daniel Bryan and, and Roman Reigns. I'm pretty sure that happened at Hell in a Cell this year. Or was that at Night of Champions? That was Hell in a Cell 2019. That match is so much better than people give it credit for. And the only reason why people don't watch it is because that is by far the worst pay-per-view of 2019. But if you want to watch two things that were really strong at Hell in a Cell that year, last year, excuse me, is, of course, I highly recommend watching Sasha and Becky in their Hell in a Cell match, which was really, really good. And then watch the tag team match. The tag team match is absolutely fire. You realize his last match in the company was that awful battle royal at Crown Jewel? What I have to say to that is, damn it. That was, that was his last pay-per-view match. It's an unfortunate set of circumstances, let me tell you. We move on to the 2018 SummerSlam match between Monsieur Daniel Bryan and Le Miz. The Miz, with his weird Hollywood get-up gimmick of being quiet on the set while wearing a frock and some other weird clothes because he's Hollywood. This is... Uh... Okay, let me... because Because there was a carriage out to the ring was maurice pregnant had already given birth or this was just a gimmick before they already had kids no 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 definitely um she was with her little girl she they were with monroe they were sitting they were sitting front row yes i remember that because obviously that and that of course played into the finish Mm -hmm. uh daniel bryan coming out uh i believe those were seahawk colors that he was wearing um, so essentially this match was a culmination of a feud that started back on a show that, well, has turned into the phenomenon known as NXT. <laughs> Would you like to remind the people what that show was called? Um, what, well, wasn't it NXT? No? Yes, or was I, it... thought there, I thought there was a special name for it. Uh, Actual contest. 
It it wasn't called tough enough. It was it called wasn't, something else. I'll, I'll have uh, carry on. I'll look it up. Okay. So, what's funny is that the Miz, Mike Mizanin, actually was on a show to make a roster called Tough Enough, and so he made his way to WWE. Or at that time, it was just simply you know he would come out and he essentially won a contest or was a big part of a contest that got him his job in World Wrestling Entertainment. So Daniel Bryan made his entrance into the company on a very similar show, branded with NXT, which if there's no special name, then I guess we're just calling it NXT. I thought there was a special name for it. Perhaps I'm wrong. But The Miz was Daniel Bryan's pro. Now, what's funny about that is that if you follow Daniel Bryan's career throughout, Daniel Bryan had way more wrestling experience than the Miz did. So it played into the storyline, which is probably one of the many reasons why they paired them together. So real quick, it was still ECW and that's when any and that's when ECW became NXT, but it was still it was essentially NXT. Okay. And it was, you know, it was FCW back in the day. That was when FCW became NXT. Okay. Okay. So it was laughable that Daniel Bryan had a pro that had less years in the business than he did. Of course, it played into the storyline. So then through all of that nonsense, then came the infamous Talking Smack promo that showcased the fact that Daniel Bryan actually was, was Daniel Bryan the, the, the general manager by then, or was he just a host? No, he was the general manager. We got to preface the fact that, of course, Daniel Bryan was forced to retire in 2015 because of all his concussions, which is the reason why the whole promo on Talking Smack was a thing to begin with. Um, I'm, and I'm sorry to go ahead and cut you off. I just want to make sure, because I feel like that's a very important it part is. to the storyline. It so, is. yes, Daniel Bryan was was the general manager while Shane was the commissioner of SmackDown. I believe also mentioned in that storyline, I believe The Miz also made fun of the fact that Daniel Bryan got himself fired from the original NXT invasion gimmick because he was choking Justin Roberts with his tie, and so he basically made a fit, fun of him being unprofessional. It also plays into the storyline that Miz never gets hurt and Daniel Bryan got so injured that he had to retire from his concussions. So it went back to the feud of Daniel Bryan, who's the better wrestler, versus the Miz, who's had longevity in his wrestling career. And Daniel Bryan did say that he had a cowardly wrestling style. Yes, which, by the way, if you followed the Miz, most of his career he has played a chicken heel. So that actually makes sense that he would play a not technically sound chicken heel that wins in very nefarious ways. Makes sense. Plays into the storyline. So we finally get to the boiling point of The Miz and Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam 2018. And when was that Talking Smack promo? It was August of 2016. Okay. Now, I understand that timing is everything. And I understand that if they could have done the match in 2016, it may have gotten even more heat than this match was going to get. 
course, Daniel Bryan was not cleared when this promo happened, so there was no real payoff. I always make fun of the fact that Triple H screwed over Seth Rollins and helped Kevin Owens win the Universal title, but Seth Rollins never got his revenge until like eight months later. Again, timing. Yeah, but see, it's a, this is a little bit different. And obviously, well, you well because of the injury. I understand right. that. Now, what happened was that Daniel Bryan finally gets cleared, but he gets cleared like about a month before WrestleMania, and The Miz is on Raw while Daniel Bryan is on SmackDown. And not to mention, Miz had already been booked for a triple threat match to defend his Intercontinental Championship against Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. So it was hard to be able to get them to get mixed up again. They had to wait until WrestleMania, and then finally The Miz, I, I can't remember, I think it was they did the, um, the, dra- the draft or the superstar shakeup, and then The Miz was moved over to SmackDown. That's, and, and that's that was, what happened. That was during the yearly joke of The Miz getting drafted to the other brand every year. Yes. That was that meme. First it was, uh, I think it was Mr. Kennedy that was moved like four times before he finally left because they were trying to find a spot for him in the midst of that. I know I just name dropped Mr. Kennedy on this show. Um, but before The Miz was switching brands every year, uh, he was not the first person that they did that with. In fact, I believe MVP may have switched a few times, which MVP is a thing again, by the way. Pretty yep. sure Matt Hardy may have moved about 14 times. Carlito moved a few times, too. Like, you can't just make it simple and just move, like, six people a year instead of yeah. moving half your roster, and half of that half ends up switching every year. Like, I, anyway. You know what, though? The Miz – the Miz was always able to fit into every single facet of what he did every time he was mixed up, what he was mixed around in the, in the superstar shakeup. So I've been on record saying that there was a large chunk of the Miz's career that I'm not a fan of. Um, I loved the stunt double stuff with Miz Dow. Uh, I loved part of his, One of his longer intercontinental title reigns I actually enjoyed because it told the really good story. Uh, The one that involved Dolph Ziggler finally beating him. Thank you. That run. They also had a really good ladder match, by the way. That run was that heel run that you really want to see the heel get his ass kicked and lose the title. That was an effective run for him. And unfortunately, they they jumped the gun on making him a world champion back when they did because now it's really not believable because it was such a bad idea the first time they did it. I just, I just don't know if they'd do that again. The I know point is, what's, what's unfortunate is to me, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I, I mean, cause I got a lot of love for the Miz. I think I've stated that on a multitude of occasions in this show and I'll continue to say it till, you know, till I'm proven wrong, but Miz is much more of a bigger world title contender now than he was nine years ago. And that's very frustrating to me because I wish, I wish they'd go ahead and just give him a world title run now because I think he's done more to earn it than he could have ever done in 2011. Uh, they'd have to have the right opponent in the right situation. But I may actually agree with you. 
as strange as that is. So what I've said recently, and pretty much ever since around 2015 or maybe even 2016, one thing I will give The Miz credit for is if he does not have to carry a match or if he is in a group match, he does perfectly fine perfectly fine in almost any role you give him if you're asking him to carry a feud or carry a match i think he struggles um that being said i did enjoy his feud with shane mcmahon and he basically had to carry that feud that's one exception even the sun shines on a dog's posterior every once in a while that being said Um, Daniel Bryan and the Miz. <laughs> I think I broke Jorge with that comment. That's that's awesome. The point is that. Uh, oh, and by the way, here's the other thing that that plays into this, and they did it, of course, is that the Miz would often mock Daniel Bryan during his matches because he knew that Daniel Bryan was not cleared, and there was a time period where we didn't know if Daniel Bryan was ever going to get cleared. So the Miz was doing the figure four, even though Daniel Bryan doesn't do the figure four, he was still doing a submission hold that won matches. He was doing the Daniel Bryan kicks, which were terrible, but they were hilarious for a heel to do. The it kicks. The it kicks. It makes me almost forget that he had a group called the Miztourage at one point, but then turned into the B team, for God's sake. That's how good the Miz is. Damn, I, you besmirch the name of Mike Mazan on this podcast one more time. I'm going ahead and I'm, I'm muting you. Carry on. Okay. This match, for everything that built up to it, for the most part, very much delivered. Now, I will say this because when was their next match after this pay-per-view? Super Showdown, like a month and a half later. Okay. So, the end. Okay. If you didn't know that their next match was a month later, you would think that this ending sucks. Yeah. Not to mention because they had a tag team match, a mixed tag team match. You know, uh, Maurice and and Brie got involved at Night of Champions. And to be honest with you, uh, you know, Miz and Maurice won that match. And you and I, that was actually our first pay-per-view. Okay, backstory real quick, because it means a lot to me when I talk about this. This was the first pay-per-view Ross and I ever reviewed because this was our first ever episode of the Double Turn podcast. Okay, so SummerSlam 2018 holds a very special place in my heart. I don't know if you remember that, Ross. The first That was our first ever episode. And then our first ever pay-per-view was uh, Clash of Champions. Um, and that was, of course, famous for the Hell in a Cell match between Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns, which we absolutely hated. And then one of the greatest tag team matches you and I have ever seen in Dino and Rollins versus McIntyre and Ziggler. Oh. Of course, the, the match that we're, I'm discussing right now is the mixed tag team match between Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella, his wife, and then Miz and Maurice. And uh, Miz and Maurice won that match, which to me was the wrong call. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why so, would you do that? So when did Daniel Bryan get a clean victory over the Miz? Super showdown, like a month later in October in Australia. Okay. 
that was when he became the number one contender to AJ's title. Right, because they were actually teasing that The Miz was going to get a world title match against AJ Styles. Which would have been believable. That. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. I, I, I mean, I guess, I guess in this world, anybody can get a title shot. I mean, that's, you know. Anybody can get... You know what? Go ahead, man. I'm you know gonna, what? I'm going to let you... No, go ahead. It's cool, bro. You know what, you know what might be, you know, actually, you know, what's, you know, what's more legitimate than, uh, than the Miz being a a world title holder right now, uh, Shane McMahon, not being in a tournament until the finals and then being declared best in the world, just as a schmarmy heel move. (laughs) Hey, Hey, it did get heat. Didn't it? It got heat. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Uh, I'm only doing this because I know Jorge gives me so much crap because he loves the Miz. I do love the Miz. And, I, and, I, I, and because and because every time I try to poke at him about his boy Triple H, he actually backs it up and makes me realize that there was part of Triple H's career that actually wasn't annoying, and that wasn't the reign of terror for God's sake. Five title reigns in three years. Sorry, it's okay. Not every time. It's my time. That song is awesome. You will not besmirch that song. Not besmirching that song. You, on the other hand, are besmirching Michael Mazanin unnecessarily. Which, of course, whenever you mention the the word besmirch, makes me think of the excellent heel William Regal and his tremendous theme music. (laughs) It's brooding, it's sinister, and I love it. I want to see William Regal wrestle a lot of different people still. Even at his age, I'm sure he could still go and probably what put it, on half a better match than half the people out there, because he could at least sell. Hey, he could sell. I'm not saying he can't. Anyway, fantastic. The Miz and Daniel Bryan put on a pretty stellar performance at SummerSlam 2018. And yes, you did mention this point. I was going to mention it, but I figured you'd jump in because it's what you do. It's not taking anything away from you. I just figured that's what you would do. This was a special pay-per-view. There were lots of things going on on this show. Um, yes, the Braun-Roman match was disappointing. I was looking forward to that. That was in the middle of their hilarious feud when Braun Strowman tried to run him over and took off an ambulance tour, right? Nah, bro. That was the year prior. Year prior. Okay. Yeah. See, my timelines get all mixed up. It's cool. I love Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. I actually think they have really good chemistry. But that's not the match. That's why we were so pissed off at the month later at Hell in a Cell. But remember, now you're getting yourself a little bit confused because it's, the main event of SummerSlam was Roman and Brock, and it was Braun that was the Money in the Bank cash, yes. uh, the, the yes. Money in the Bank holder, and he was at ringside. And I, I just mentioned the Clash of Champions pay-per-view for, from the next month because that was yeah, the yeah. first pay-per-view we watch together. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. No, you're fine. Uh, I, I often get confused because I think of great ideas and they end up being like a month later because everything kind of rolls together sometimes. Yes. Um, I thought the pacing in this match was very well done because this match could have been two different things. It could have been Daniel Bryan finally getting his hands on the Miz getting sloppy and the Miz finding a way to beat him or this was going to be a match of Daniel Bryan trying to prove he could out wrestle him 
and try and beat him and the Miz try and screw his way into a win. It ended up being the latter. Interesting, because I remember watching this match and thinking that it was more the first portion. Like, I, I think that it was – I think it's a mixture of both. I'll put it to you that way. So, and the reason why I think it's more of the wrestling match mm-hmm. is because this match was absolutely catered towards Daniel Bryan. Oh, yeah, for sure. For, for good reason, by the way, because I guarantee you – Daniel Bryan and The Miz, I'll give them both credit, they wanted to make sure that this feud worked because there was so much buildup to it and there were so many expectations to it that they didn't want it to fall short. And mm-hmm. I understand once I get to the ending of this match, and again, you said the mixed tag match was after that. It was kind of weird booking that way. But that being said, how they got here with the ebbs and flows of this match and the Miz trying to make fun of Daniel Bryan at least halfway through the match and throughout the match and Daniel Bryan trying to prove that the Miz has been wrong about him all the time since the beginning. And, of course, the Miz had kind of something to prove, too, in this match, which made this match extremely enjoyable because they both wanted to teach the other guy a lesson, but they also both had that strong of an ego that they wanted to prove any doubters wrong from Daniel Bryan's perspective of coming back from a very serious injury and being retired to the Miz not always being considered the most technically gifted person in the company and actually holding his own against Daniel Bryan, this match worked. Until the finish. When you had the Miz get something from ringside, hit Daniel Bryan in the head with it, and pin him. Not going to lie, because I hadn't seen it since the pay-per-view. So it's been roughly two years. And I realized that some of these matches I've seen, and they were much further away than two years ago. I remember looking at that going, wow, they actually did a spot where they had Daniel Bryan take a hit to the head and act like he was concussed to lose a match. They did that. In a match where part of the story is, the Miz has been making fun of the fact that he can't be injured or that he can't stay healthy because of a concussion. Mm. So this entire time he's been trying to prove that he's better than him. And then he basically tries to cripple him. See, I, I actually kind of took me out of it to me. I actually thought that was brilliant storytelling personally, because you know, DB comes in there hot and heavy, ready to roll, ready to whoop some ass, take some names. He's been wanting to go ahead and get the Miz, really. Because one thing, first of all, the buildup to this match was absolutely insane. I was, you know, I put it up on our, on our socials, uh, Double Turn in, double turn Podcast on Instagram. Go check us out. I'm doing a marvelous job because I'm the man. <laughs> um, I, I was so egotistical on that comment. I'd like to apologize to everybody who listens. I'm clearly kidding. But that being said, I went ahead and posted up Daniel Bryan versus The Miz, and I was asking what are people's thoughts on it. And our buddies over at Ultra Heels Wrestling, who we appreciate always, they give us a couple shout-outs, and we, you know, we appreciate everything that they do over there in New York City. You know, he was talking about that he thought that it was too quick, the story. And I was like, well, hold on, bro. Like, I had, and I haven't responded to him yet, but maybe if he listens to the show, I don't see how that – I don't see how much more longer this story could have been dragged out because we waited for not only just two years between Daniel Bryan and The Miz 
But this, this, this rivalry was eight years in the making. Like, how much longer did you want, bro? Like, there was so much story. There was so much meat on the bone between these two that this needed to just happen. This is one of the few matches that I was like, this match is the blow-off. In a similar capacity that you and I talked about Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins needing just one match, and that match being WrestleMania because they had been basically feuding but never having a one-on-one match the entire time. This was that, but on an even more personal level. And so if you think that there was not enough buildup or not enough story, I think that you're misguided and not looking at the entire process of how this all went about, first off. Second of all, I would tell you that the reason why I think it's more of the first portion as opposed to the second, when they finally got in the ring and, the, and, the, and Charles Robinson rang the bell, Daniel Bryan, the first thing he was trying to do is punch the Miz in the face because he'd been talking about the fact that he wanted to punch the Miz in the face. Okay. Time out. Go ahead. Time out. Yeah. Daniel Bryan wants to punch a guy in the face who says he's Hollywood and his face makes him money. That makes sense. A guy who's been trash talking him and bad mouthing him about being retired because of a head injury. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to do an angle where the Miz screws over Daniel Bryan and punches him in the head with a foreign object, mm-hmm. and that's the point of the storyline, Daniel Bryan better not be back on TV for months. Well, to be fair, it was the back of the neck area. So I wasn't, it, it was like, it wasn't like a cold clot. I mean, again, hey, if it's storyline. I'm, I'm not a, sorry. I'm not a doctor, but can you get a concussion from, if you already have post-concussion syndrome, can you get a concussion from anything involving your skull or the top of your neck? Fair play. Fair play. Okay. Fair play. So again, I'm not asking you again, it's supposed to be believable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Bryan shouldn't be on TV for months. Instead, he got his revenge a month and a half later. Okay. I see what your point is. I, 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 get, I get what you're – I understand where you're coming now, from. Now, that being said, that being said, does the match ending fit if at the end of the day Daniel Bryan gives The Miz his comeuppance and beats him in a wrestling match and makes him tap out to his finisher? Yes. By the way, do you remember the ending of that match in uh, at Super Showdown? A roll up. Exactly my point. Yeah. No, I here's the thing. They botched the remainder of this feud, which is really messed up considering how mo- how perfectly built this was for SummerSlam. You know, like I'm I'm here to tell you, I'm not mad at the fact that the Miz won at SummerSlam. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. That made sense. I was like, okay, the heel overcomes the baby face and this is going to get stretched out a little bit longer and Daniel Bryan is finally going to get his moment and that's fine would it have made sense if Daniel Bryan wins at SummerSlam absolutely the crowd going nuts if like if, if the Miz taps out to the LaBelle lock in Brooklyn oh my gosh they go crazy or if he like nails him with the running knee it'd have been great but then at the same time I'm cool with the fact that because Miz was such an overheel and Miz was a he was one of the bigger heels on the roster and this rivalry looked like it had legs really looked like it had legs because even though you've been feuding for two years you haven't touched each other for two years you know i was okay with the miz winning it's just the remainder of this feud which should not be held detrimental towards this match was really botched and it needs to be said because again the night of clash of champions again 
probably should have had like a double tap out or something of like, you know, Miz and, or excuse me. Yeah. Miz and Maurice tap out to Daniel Bryan and to Brie, like Agreed. a double label lock or something like that. It would have been cute and it would have made sense in the structure of like, Oh, well, you know, the wives got in there too. And then, you know, you can come back one more time and Miz says, you beat me with your wife, but you can't beat me one-on-one. And then you have the one-on-one match happen either in Australia or at Survivor Series later that year. And they didn't do that. They ended the match in three minutes over on Australia. And then Daniel Bryan moved on and then went into AJ Styles. Am I mad at the fact that we got Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles? Hell no, I'm not. But again, I'll say it one more time. The amount of meat that was left on there between the Miz and Daniel Bryan is something that to this day can be, can you, they can come back to and it's still going to have a lot of meat on that bone and that feud can pick up right where it left off. So just to just quickly go back to the match before yes, we, I'm uh, sorry. we before we, before we uh, revisit the three matches, um, this, this was essentially a match of one upsmanship. And the reason I say that is because, Oh, anything you can do, I can do better or anything you can do. I can do to the point where I can make you look stupid for trying to do it. Hence Daniel Bryan's motive versus the Miz's motives in this right. match. At one point, uh, the Miz um, got him. What's Daniel Bryan's hold that he basically um, hooks up your legs and he's pulling you and he, and he tur- turns you upwards. Uh, is that his version of the surfboard? Yes. The modified okay. surfboard. Like you saw Miz do that to Daniel Bryan. Um, and then, of course, they did the kicks. Um, did Miz, I'm trying to remember now, did Miz try and do the LaBelle lock or did he just try and do the figure four? He did. Well, he, he definitely locked in the, the figure four and then Daniel Bryan reversed it and got on his belly and reversed the pressure. But if I'm not mistaken, I think, I think the Miz tried to lock in the LaBelle lock. Okay. Yeah. Which at one point was called the yes lock and the no lock. So just making sure that everybody knows it's the same move. So, um, Again, I think Daniel Bryan and The Miz were kind of feeling each other out. Then they were playing one-upsmanship. Then Daniel Bryan. Look, I'll even say this. I think there was a point in the match where Daniel Bryan got cocky. And I wouldn't say Storyline that. Storyline-wise, yes. And I wouldn't say that normally because I would say The Miz was cocky for most of the match because it's his character. But I think Daniel Bryan for a brief moment said, all right, it's in the bag. I got him. I'm going to teach him his lesson. And the Miz got an item from Maurice's baby carriage. Did we ever see it, or did they just imply that it was brass knocks? We never even saw it because he never like actually hooked it up to his fingers. The the, the okay. object was in between his hand, so it, it could have been brass knocks. So it could have been the old WCW slapjack, for all I know, of just or, some metal object. Right, that, or it could have been like a roll of coins. Okay, yeah. so that's. The ending was a little abrupt. It was more abrupt than I remember. I thought that, like, I guess to me, I thought this was the match with the roll-up and not the Super Showdown match because I looked at it and went, oh, there's no way they did a roll-up to have the match where Daniel Bryan beat him. No, it's exactly how they did it. So we never got the ending that we needed, which is Daniel Bryan putting the Miz in his, in his submission hold and the Miz tapping out. We never got that. And we may never get that, which sucks. But basically everything about this, again, I said pacing, 
timing, the fact that these two have great chemistry in the ring. They've always had great chemistry in the ring, even though their booking hasn't been great. Yeah, and I on think the mic, too. Exactly. Which, by the way, The Miz does not get enough credit for how advanced his mic work has become. By the way, he was not always this good. Check out when he was on ECW. Yeah. If you want some funny promo work, go watch The Miz when he was on ECW. Back when he had a faux hawk, for God's sake. That being said, The Miz did win this match. And uh, again, we had the fallout of what we just talked about. But as a match, technically, and uh, I'd say for the most part, psychology-wise, this was a pretty good match start to finish until, again, the end, which then we got no payoff from, which is not this match's fault. It's the feud's fault. So I can't really fault the match for it for something that happened two months later. So as a match, it might be the most complete match of the three of them, to be honest with you. I would have to agree with you because I, I, and I'm not trying to, you know, really kiss up to this match or anything like that, but I'll be honest and I'll be very clear when I say this, I thought the psychology and the storytelling of this match was by far the best of the three. And by the way, we just talked about three stellar matches that had incredible storytelling to them, but the psychology and the storytelling, the storytelling of The Miz versus Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam was probably some of the best storytelling of the entire SummerSlam card that year. And by the way, there were some good matches at that SummerSlam. Let's be real. Like, I'm not here to tell you that SummerSlam 2018 sucked. It didn't. It was very, very strong. It was almost as strong as SummerSlam 2019, which I like. Ross thinks is okay, but, you know, sometimes Ross – he gets a little emotional. <laughs> no, but I'm here to say that I thought that you're right, man. I thought that this was definitely the most complete match. This one, you definitely could feel the 20-minute time limit or the 18 minutes that they gave it. And not in a bad way, though, but you definitely could tell that they, the writers in the back said, we're going to give Miz and DB some time. Because when you basically got a feud that's two years to eight years in the making, and this is finally the first match that they're having in God knows how long. You know, they better be getting almost 20 minutes, if not more. Like, you think you're going to give them 10 minutes and then let that fly? No, that's not the way that it works. Um, so I thought that the time limit that they gave this match was perfectly acceptable. Um, again, do I think that Daniel Bryan probably should have won by having him tap out to the yes lock? Yes. Did Was I okay with The Miz winning this match? Yes. I probably have to agree with you about the foreign object to the back of the head. Um, but then at the same time, Ross, if it, it, you know, I don't think that they, I don't think that Miz winning by a, by a roll up would have been any better. So I'm curious to know if the, if you have the Miz win, which he did, which way would you have had him beat Daniel Bryan? Because I don't think that it would have been believable enough to just have him win with the skull crushing finale. To me, it would have had to have been, some dastardly manners where he uses the skull crushing finale onto something. So I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that. Sadly, you're going to have to repeat your question again, because I was paying attention and then missed your question. So please say that again. No. So my question was that I agree with you about the foreign object at the back of the head. Now, I'm okay with The Miz having beaten Daniel Bryan, but I don't think that it would have been as simple as having him win via roll-up. So I ask you, how would you have booked 
the Miz to believably beat Daniel Bryan because I don't think that a skull-crushing finale would have been enough. Oh, look, I'm fine with him winning with nefarious means. I'm right, so fine I'm with asking him you which cheating to win. Right. I would have been fine with him beating Daniel Bryan with a roll-up. Oh, you would have been okay with the roll-up? Okay. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just feel like the roll-up would have been too flimsy. Like, I wanted... It would have been better I, I, than Daniel Bryan winning with a roll-up a month and I a half agree. later. I agree with you 100%. Um, but to me, like, if, if the Miz is going to use nefarious ways to win this match, I, don't, I, I think that it's more than just the roll-up and grabbing in the tights. So, like, I would have told you, oh, skull-crushing finale into the chair, but then it's the same thing of, like, okay, well, Daniel Bryan's head just went into a chair face first after having concussions take him out for three years in the same vein that, you know, it upset you that, you know, a, a hard object hit him in the back of the head or in the back of the neck. So I'm just, I'm just curious to see what other way, what other nefarious ways the Miz could have won this match without it, you know, causing Daniel Bryan to be out for more than a month or so because of storyline. That makes sense. It does. It does. I just would have gone with the theme of, the Miz can't beat him in a straight-up wrestling match, so he has to pull nefarious. You know, he could have had the roll-up with the tights. That, or just maybe a low, maybe as simple as a low blow into a skull-crushing finale. Maybe it was just that. Maybe I think they maybe over, not overbooked per se, but didn't think it all the way. No, through. but see, here's the thing: I don't want Miz beating Daniel Bryan with a wrestling move. Even though he would have cheated to get to said wrestling nope. move. No. Nope. Okay. Interesting. Okay. That's fair. That's so, just so, me. So then, but, well, and that's why it's to me okay that he won via the way he won. So, but I, well, I, I get got the you. reason why. I just, yeah. I just don't like the whole, hey, let's play into the fact that he just had a concussion. Right. It was probably too soon. That's all. That's, that's all I'm fair. saying. That's fair. That's all okay. I'm saying. All right. Uh, it is always hard to do this, but it is that time of the show. Yeah. Where we rank the matches that we just went over from not worst to best, but that's the only terminology I can come up with uh, of these three matches that we are talking about. And it does not mean that we're picking just best wrestling matches. We're picking best everything of the fact that these are the three underrated gems of the 2010s that we picked. So Jorge, I'm going to let you go first. What is okay. number three of – oh, and by the way, I'll do a very quick recap of the three matches that we just talked about and spent time here on the Double Turn Podcast discussing. We we mentioned the Big Show versus Sheamus match for the World Heavyweight title at Hell in a Cell 2012. We had Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper in a ladder match for the Intercontinental title. And we had Daniel Bryan versus The Miz in a singles match at SummerSlam 2018. So, what makes number three on your list, sir? It's interesting that you asked me that because I know what my number two is. I'm just having trouble picking between one and three. How crazy is that? That but, is amazing because I have a feeling I know what your number two is. So, yeah. I'll be very interested to see what... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going with Dolph Ziggler and Luke Harper. The latter match is my number three. And not because it's bad, because it's not. It is a great match. It's just, there was, a, I think, yeah, 
Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot, actually. And it was, this has definitely been my, my hardest top three to have to figure out. I've been, you know, taking seven or eight hours today to try and get this all worked out in my head. And I think it's just the fact that because the Big Show and Sheamus do not get anywhere near enough credit for what they did that, I'll put it to you this way, Luke Harper and Dolph Ziggler get just enough credit because it was that damn good of a match. And there's no more credit that they deserve to go ahead and get because the match is basically as good as it could possibly be because it's a great ladder match. That's what I'll say. Well, sir. My number three is Daniel Bryan versus The Miz at SummerSlam 2018. Your hatred for The Miz is just, will go down in history no, as... No, it has, it has nothing to do with hating The Miz. <sighs> nothing ahead. at all. It has to do with the fact that even though I just put it over as probably technically the best wrestling match of the three, as an underrated match, I kind of expected it to be good. I know that's a very weird reason to put something at the bottom of a list, but when you have that good of a feud and that good of a match, it's not as under the radar as I would have originally thought. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. You, you caught me off guard there because you made it seem like the match, the match was trash. So what you're trying to say is not, it's not underrated. It's perfectly rated. I I think it's right where it needs to be. Now, again, would I have changed the finish? Yes. Would I have changed the rest of the feud? Yes. But for this match as a whole, now that I've watched it again for the first time in two years, it's not as underrated as I thought it would be, which means it's number three on my list. Interesting. So let me ask you before we move on to number two. So then would you actually state the fact that you would have preferred to have Goldberg and Brock Lesnar be the match that we discussed over. No, I think for I think for the purposes of this show, which by the way, a lot of times on this show, there are matches that are put on these lists that we have that that either Jorge and I have either seen once or seen several times, and now with a more focused microscope on the match, and a more instead of just sitting back and enjoying it, we're basically analyzing it as we watch these. So with that in mind, Brock Lesnar and Goldberg would not have made this list because, again... It was actually really, really good. It was really good. Okay. So that's so no, I would not have changed my mind. I needed to see this match again to make sure that I knew that it's what it was. It's very interesting that you say that because I actually, and I think I told you this when we, read, when we did our second episode of TDT's Classic Series, when we did Money in the Bank matches, how I was actually almost disappointed in the 2016 Money in the Bank ladder match. It was not as good as I remember it being, mm-hmm. but I, which is different to what you're saying, that this match was always that good, so it never fell, it should have never fallen to you on, in the underrated gems section to begin with because... Correct. People Correct. all should have should have, you should have appreciated this from the get go. Okay, that's fair. Yep. All right. Well, then, I'll, since it's my turn now, my number two, um, I, I'm going. I'm going. Seamus and Daniel. Excuse, excuse me. Seamus and the Big Show, um, and not because it's a, in a bad way or anything of that nature, but uh, 
this I mean this match is so dope. This match is so hella dope that um you you really need excuse me, I just banged my table with my knee. You really need to watch this match and appreciate Sheamus's greatness and Big Show's greatness. And this match, you're gonna watch it, and this is just me, and maybe you th- not you per se, Ross, but other people may think differently. I'm trying to tell you that there is an argument to be made that the big show is the second greatest big man of all time. Because I think obviously we all know who the greatest big man of all time, and it's and it's the Undertaker. But what I'm trying uh, to no, say, clearly it is the great Kelly. <laughs> okay, first of all, Giant Gonzalez over here. Okay, hold on, hold on. Calm down. It's clearly Giant Gonzalez. Um, <laughs> no, no, clearly it's the Yeti. Oh my gosh, no, it's all good. Or the big ninja that was a, that's with with Akira Tozawa. Which, by the way, when they when they first panned up, and I'm sorry, I know you're in the middle of this. When they first okay. panned up, I actually thought it was uh, uh, what's his face that fell under the ring at Greatest Royal Rumble. Oh, Titus O'Neil. Yes. At first, I thought it was Titus O'Neil, and then this I was dude like, "This is so that, much bigger that than Titus dude O'Neil. is like a foot taller than Titus O'Neil." Yeah. So, and Titus O'Neil is a big man. Yes. Titus O'Neil Continue. is enormous. But what I'm trying to say is that big, the Big Show definitely deserves a lot of credit, and the Big Show is better than Andre, and I don't care what people say, and he's better than Kane, and I don't think, and I don't, I don't care what people say. I will give the the Big Show all the credit in the world. Um, he is truly amazing to watch in the ring, and he has had some just great matches with a multitude of opponents, and he never gets any credit. And one move that he does that should always been given credit that should always be given credit is his flat out slap to your chest, man. That is so underrated. I mean, he shushes the crowd and then he just smacks you. That's believable. That is believable. So yeah, Seamus and the big show at the 2012 edition of hell in a cell is my number two by a smidge by a smidge. Well, Jorge may not be surprised by this, but the rest of you may be. My number two is Dolph Ziggler versus Luke Harper at TLC 2014. Now, the reason why it is number two and the reason why it passed SummerSlam 2018 is because other than the negatives, which I got out of the way, which I know there were a lot of them, but then I prefaced the fact that I really like this match is the fact that it really makes me appreciate. And again, that one line, the one line that Michael Cole says about how these two guys were looking at the potential future of this company. It's amazing what happens when you put two guys in the ring that legitimately have nothing to lose, can put it all out on the line. They're placed in a match where they're allowed to take chances because of the structure of the match anyway. It's one of the more grounded ladder matches you will see. There's not a lot of flair to it, and yet it showcases both men's abilities. They're both equally talented for their respectable size. It's believable that Dolph... Now, Okay, I say this, and Dolph Ziggler's not a small guy. But on television, it looks like Luke Harper's a much bigger guy. Would you mm-hmm. agree? Okay. I agree. I, so, 100%. so 
and I understand that they do this all the time in wrestling, Dolph Ziggler is the smaller guy. They make Dolph Ziggler and guys like him and smaller guys that are believable enough that they can beat up the bigger guys. It makes it believable. And Luke Harper moves around with the grace that if he was Dolph Ziggler's size, he would fit in perfectly well with his rough and tumble style, even though he can still fly like a smaller guy. I mean, Luke Harper, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but Luke Harper was 305 live before... um, before Eric or Ivar? Uh, Eric, a.k.a. Hanson. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he, that's, I mean, it's the truth. I mean, we give all, I always give all the credit in the world to Eric, a.k.a. Hanson from the Viking Raiders, because the man is absolutely incredible at 305 pounds flying around like a cruiserweight. But Luke Harper was doing it like just a few years prior, even though he's not quite 305, but at like 6'8", 290, that's still not a small dude. And he's over here doing crazy topa suicidas and moving as – I mean, he's got Brock Lesnar speed, but he's got like five inches on Brock Lesnar. It's pretty incredible. So I liked the fact that they made it violent. Yeah. But they still had the technical ability to make it a ladder match that was unique. And that's something that unfortunately – just by the fact that everything has been done in this business, unique is hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. I think they pulled it off very nicely. And I'll agree with you. My, and it's why it's my number two match of the underrated gems of the 2010s, the TLC, I'm sorry, the ladder match at TLC 2014 between Luke Harper and Dolph Ziggler. Yeah, man, it's a great match. It, it, it really is. Um and it deserves to be watched by a lot more people. And I still cannot believe that, you know, Dave Meltzer gave it 3.7 stars because, I mean, I really think that it's, it's one of the better ladder matches you're going to watch. And I know that we've watched a lot of ladder matches out there, but this is a great ladder match. It's better than the Casino Royale match, ladder match that we saw at Double or Nothing, way better. And I don't care if it's like two people and seven. The ladder match, the construct of a ladder match still has to be good. That mat, the match between Harper and Ziggler was better than this one. In the same vein, that also this match was better than the three-way ladder match we saw at WrestleMania 33 between the Hardy Boys. Excuse me, four-way: the Hardy Boys, um, the Good Brothers, uh, the Bar, and Enzo and Cass. This this ladder match is still better than that one. Uh, my number one is, uh, of course, obviously it's uh, Daniel Bryan and Miz at SummerSlam, SummerSlam 2018. In the same vein, that I understand that why. Ross put it at his number three because he never thought it was underrated to begin with. I think that to me, the reason why I picked it is because it got lost in that shuffle of that great SummerSlam card that, you know, we all remember this great story that it told, but then the match came and then, you know, you had great matches all over the place and people to me didn't give it enough credit where I watched it and I was like, yo, this deserves a whole heck of a lot more credit than it got. Um, I thought that it was the Miz at his heel best. And by the way, that's saying a lot because his heel character has been progressively getting better each and every year over the past like five years. Like how much better could his heel character get? Watch SummerSlam 2018 versus Daniel Bryan and then you know what the heck I'm talking about. Um, so I thought that that was great. Daniel Bryan, obviously, this was his first major singles match since his comeback 
which needs to be said. Um, Brooklyn being on fire all night long. And by the way, they had seen some matches that night that would have already gotten them out of this mix by the time that this match got there with how much energy they would have spent on AJ versus Samoa Joe and Becky and Carmella and Charlotte and Seth versus Ziggler. So they'd seen some matches yet. They were still at such a great energy level for this match that again, it brought out the best out of the two people that we were watching. And that's a huge thing to see. Um, and I overall just really, really appreciated it. I wish they would have done the feud better afterwards. I really wish they had, and they, they, they kind of really dropped the ball on that. And we're in the year 2020. They could absolutely make it work. if they, They're both on the same show right now. They're both on the same show. They're both on SmackDown. You could go back into the well of Daniel Bryan and The Miz, and you could have it pick up like nothing if you really wanted to. So I hope that they look back into that reservoir because there's a lot left in the tank. Um, overall, I thought this match was really well. And not to mention, you know, one of the things that people don't give credit to is Maurice's performance. Maurice's performance, she was the, the great supportive wife who still had evil intentions over at ringside. And, you know, she's been a huge part of the success of the Miz that he's gone through in the last four years. And that needs to be talked about for sure. So uh, Daniel Bryan and the Miz at SummerSlam 2018 is my number one in the underrated gems of the 2010s, AKA diamonds in the rough. This is going to be a complete left turn from where we were, but it just made me excited to know that the Transformers War for Cybertron show coming to Netflix on July the 30th official i'm very excited okay well i mean i was very excited yesterday when i heard the news that warner brothers is going to be potentially casting michael keaton as batman in the flash movie because of like the, the paradoxes that the the flash has happened in his uh story so look I, i'm 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 excited for shows that are coming to any of these platforms that are not delayed for 17 years because okay yeah. that's all plus Agreed. plus the transformers are awesome plus i get to make my joke of whenever something nefarious is going on or something wrong is going on i go great decepticons <laughs> <laughs> by the way so i before you talk about daniel bryan excuse me the mm. big show and seamus yes um did i tell you i watched bumblebee a few months a couple months ago with 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 our boy john cena yeah, uh-huh. uh, th thoroughly enjoyed that movie. I'm sure. I'm sure you would enjoy that movie. It was great. I I, I don't know what you could possibly say negatively about that movie. I thought Haley um, Haley Steinfeld was perfectly fine. Um, I've always been a big fan of how Bumblebee has been portrayed over the past films with the Transformers, um, and I thought John Cena did an exceptional job in his uh, portrayal of the guy whose name I can't remember. That being said, I thought it was a great movie. I will tell you that it was a little bit more kiddish than the five previous Transformers, but obviously that was expected. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also one of the few to tell you that I enjoyed Revenge of the Fallen a lot more than other people did. And I oh, also Lord. thought Mark of the Moon was <laughs> super dope. It just went off the rails. You know, you know, part, okay, here's the thing. This is a very quick plug for uh, 
<laughs> ops and box office flops. I'm pretty sure all the Transformers movies made like hundreds of millions of dollars. So they can't uh, yes. really be flops, even yes. though most of those movies are god awful. So the best, okay, <laughs> and we'll end it here, I promise. We'll move on and we'll talk wrestling and we'll let Ross talk about show and Shameless in a second, I promise you. What I will say is I know the ratings almost by heart. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say the original Transformers, which I mean, obviously the 2007 with Shia LaBeouf, directed by Michael Bay, that was like 50 some odd percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Age, and then uh, Revenge of the Fallen got like 27%, even though that movie is like super dope. Um, and then um, Dark of the Moon got like 30% rotten, uh, 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. And then Age of Extinction like got like 25%. And then The Last Night, which I still haven't even finished. I'm not 100% sure if I want to. <laughs> and let me, be, let me be very clear. So before I get to The Last Night, um, Transformers made 700 plus at the box office. Um, Revenge of the Fallen made 800 plus. And then um, Dark of the Moon and Age of Extinction both made over a billion and then the last night got slaughtered when it only made like 500. Yeah, those are not flops, unfortunately. What, but, but what, however, the last night is a flop considering that the two previous films before you made over a billion and then everything okay. else weighed well over I'm your budget. I'm making an executive decision. I am not suggesting we watch that movie to be on their show because that movie was god awful. I agree. You and my friend Billy would get along. You guys like really weird movies and series of movies. Although he finally did, he did, uh, actually, he's the guy that likes uh, Age of Ultron, which is a horrendous movie in that whole franchise. It's not a horrendous movie, but it's definitely not the best. Yeah, no, say it's you, horrendous. And, you, and, you and my friend Billy would get along really well. Anyway. Age of Ultron is better than Guardians of the Galaxy. Go ahead and talk about Oh, oh okay, let's, let's not go down that road because that, that, that right there... That is absurd. Absurd. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, way worse than the first one. And you're saying Age of Ultra. Okay. Big Show and Sheamus from Hell in a Cell 2012 is my number one match on underrated gems of the 2010s. I had a feeling it was going to be number one because I suggested it, because I remember, well, first of all, the finish I will never forget. And it's why... When I brought the match up, I remember Jorge having this very weird look on his face and then immediately going, oh, yeah, they did have a really good match. And then we finally decided because I'd forgotten which pay-per-view it was on, but I knew the finish. I told Jorge, I was like, the finish is one of the best things you'll ever see. And then I finally realized it was the Hell in a Cell 2012 match. And I was like, okay, now I have to rewatch this again because I've watched it many times. I I'd just forgotten which pay-per-view it was on because I knew it wasn't the match with that oversized dumb chair. And it wasn't the other match that they had that didn't have this finish. So I watched this match and I know what the finish is. So I'm looking into this match going, okay, I'm looking for reasons to maybe think that maybe I remember this match for the finish and not for the match itself. So I almost tried to watch this match and say, okay, maybe this match is worse than I remember it being. I know that's a weird way of watching the match and trust me, I enjoyed it, but I kind of watched it through the prism of, okay, I think it's a good match, but maybe it's not as great as I remember. I got to tell you something. 
This match was even better than I remember. This match had everything. I appreciate a great technical wrestling match. I appreciate a match where you have two highly skilled people that just want to showcase off everything with wrestling and the best man's going to win or the best gal is going to win. I love those matches when they're done well and the psychology is there and everything. This match was a brawl for the first half of it. And then it transitioned into storyline, which by the way, this match was immensely helped out by the fact that the commentary was ace absolute ace for this match and again props to michael cole jr and jbl for the commentary during this match it was on point now i will say this if i was live in the building i may not have enjoyed this as much i fully fully grasp that concept that when you watch something live without commentary you have a much different experience i'll tell you right now and again this is a very quick aside if i would have watched wrestlemania 30 on pay-per-view instead of live i would have had a different perspective and a different reaction than the what i had live at the superdome because live that whole crowd was dead silent being like what just happened and then Brock Lesnar's music played and we went oh my gosh the undertaker just lost it was one of the coolest most surreal things i've ever been part of as a wrestling fan and then of course we got to see daniel bryan overcome the odds and win the wwe world heavyweight title that night which was amazing and i'll never forget wrestlemania 30 the point is that this match at home on a pay-per-view on the network with this commentary was aces pure aces i loved every minute of this the first half of it was a brawl the second half of it was these two guys running out of gas and then the ending of the goliath sidestepping the warrior and sucker punching him in the face and pinning him it's tremendous i love this match please go watch it in fact go watch all three of these matches i, I realize we just ranked them I'm telling you right now, you will, at its finest. you will not be disappointed with a match, a singles match for a world heavyweight title involving Sheamus and the Big Show. And that's why it is number one on my underrated gems of the 2010s. Listen, I can't agree with you any more than what you just said, brother. I, I mean, honestly, with my top three, I could have really flipped them around more so if I wanted to. Like, again, like I was thinking – should I have Ziggy Pop and Harper at my number one? Like, wait, what about Sheamus and Big Show? Like, that match is incredible. And then you've got Daniel Bryan in the midst. All three of these matches are just amazing, and I highly recommend you re-watching them when you have some time. Um, speaking of time, we have run out of time, so we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. To let you know what we're up to next week, Speaking of hops on hops and box office flops, the thunderous wizard Tom is coming right back on here with us since uh, for the first time since WrestleMania. Looking forward to having him back on. We are talking the greatness that is Brett versus Owen Hart. Really looking forward to that. Um, we're going to be talking WrestleMania 10, SummerSlam 94, and then I think they had a, the no holds barred match that we discussed that happened on a Monday Night Raw, and I had a 95 96. So we're going to be talking those three matches. Really, really looking forward to that. And, of course, we've got our WCW GOATS episode coming 
week after. So we've got a full month of July. July is going to be epic uh, and going to be epic in all proportions, not only just for us, but hopefully within the sports realm as sports slowly but surely start to come back. We're very much looking forward to it. Uh, any last words before we head on out of here, Ross, go ahead and plug in our socials because you always do a marvelous job of that. Uh, so you can find this show, the double turn podcast on our Instagram page, the double turn podcast, Ross, the real boss, 85, the one and only J man, 19. Those are all Instagram handles. Boss Ross TDT on Twitter. You can find this show, this podcast on several different platforms involving Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, CastBox, and the Anchor app, uh, amongst other places with that. So that concludes this week's episode of TDT's Classic Series and this week's episode of the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. For the J-Man, I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you on the flip side. <laughs>